Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Another person over in the first base area. I don't know if it's exactly what I wanted to do, Craig. I was talking about the idea of getting somebody that's going to be here for three, four years and solidify it and be a professional hitter that would would boost the lineup. Instead, you basically went out and got two replacement-level players in Choi and Carlos Santana, one of which is not going to hit against left-handed pitchers, most likely. Santana basically sits on the bench, and you got one play in DH and one play in first base, Likely Choi at first and Santana at DH when there's a when there's a righty pitcher out there. So I I'm not super excited about it. The positions were filled, and maybe the idea is payroll flexibility, especially with Carlos Santana, because you're waiting to see what kind of increase the front office gets as the team moves to the next step in this whole rebuild and then start trying to win phase, which I, I think again this year is all about making progress. A little bit more progress out there on the field. It's a step above what it was last year. Last year, first base was Yoshi Tetsugo, who agreed to learn the position, and we paid $4 million. And then you brought in Daniel Vogelback, which was for around 800000 and then a total of a million with, with a buyout. So, you know, $5 million on the position throwing Michael Chavis in over there at the first base position. It was like negative three war. If you want to use maybe about one war for, for Vogelback's time at DH, since he didn't play any first base, you know, they paid $5 million or a little bit more than that for negative two war. This time it kind of seems like they're hoping that they can, you know, have Santana out there, Definitely against left-handed pitchers. Uh, last year, looking up his splits, especially once he went to Seattle, he was hitting like 265 um, against uh, against left-handed pitchers for his career. He's right around that mark, maybe a little bit higher. Like I think it was like maybe 276. So he definitely hits you know the left-handed pitchers better. I mean, at times they're wondering if you know the shift. Uh, I saw Fangraphs did an article about whether or not he could be a potential beneficiary because uh, he was shifted, I think it was like 98% last year, more than any human being on the face of the earth was shifted. It, it was number one in Major League Baseball. So there's definitely a possibility for that. Uh, people haven't given like that, oh, it's definitely going to help him uh, because, I mean, I looked into some numbers. Uh, he he changed his launch angle uh, last year. He did have more exit velocity uh, so, you know, was he flying out more? He did have 16 home runs uh, from the left-hand side versus, you know, three home runs from the right-hand side, but he didn't hit as much, you know, right-handed. 
So, Chris, I mean, I, I feel like that we are saying, okay, here's $11 million, and that we hope that we can put these two guys out there together in a combination with maybe, you know, Miguel Anjouar doing a little bit of DHing, uh, Santana doing a little bit of DHing, Choi doing a little bit of DHing, uh, Santana and, and Choi having somewhat of a platoon at first base and working that into, you know, two war, 1.5 to two war somehow. And then at that point in time, you're basically paying what the market value was for war last year, you know, around, you know, $5.5 million for one win above replacement. So is it better than it was last year? Yes. Is it the answer? No. Is it an answer? Like you said, maybe just because it maybe just stretches the pocketbook a little bit more so there will be more money dedicated, hoping that payroll goes up every year. I I don't know, Chris. I I, I shouldn't say that I'm like meh about the move, but I mean, I'm a little bit above meh. This episode of Bucks in the Basement and every episode of Bucks in the Basement brought to you by Yins. Three dynasties, one brand, Yins. That's Yins with two Zs on there. You can go to shopyins.com. You can also find the link uh, inside of the show notes. You can find it at bucksinthebasement.com. It's very easy. Go in there and get yourself the the one brand for all of Pittsburgh sports. It's basically all that Craig wears. It's it's You're a walking billboard, for crying out loud. I'm convinced that you make more money on this than I do, just because of the fact that like you are decked out in just wise. That's what, that's what you got. Uh, free shipping on orders that are $75 or more, and there's 20% off for new customers. So a pretty good deal right now as the holidays approach. Shopyins.com. So uh, here, I I have no problem with the move, except it doesn't, I guess, it doesn't get my motor going. Like, I really want to get, I really want to get excited about prospects for the team. And it would have been cool, like, to just see, like, a signing happen. You know, I know that that isn't their plan. It makes more sense for payroll flexibility to do this. Um, it, it's at least professional hitters, and it's not, you know, it, it's not a catcher that's been dropped by two different teams that you're trying to conv- to convert into a uh, a first baseman by the name of Zach Collins, right? That you're going to put at first base. Like we're not we're not doing crazy experiments at this point. We're not taking undersized, uh, you know, players that probably should be second baseman and sticking them at first when they get hot and wondering whether or not that's going to be your first baseman for the the next five years. What you said is we need something at first base. That's more permanent. We we can't, we can't be taking swings anymore. I guess that's what I'm looking at, Craig, like the, the crazy, here's a cast off. Maybe we can still find something with him. That's not what this is. So it's at least a step in the right direction. Like you're going to have to be a professional baseball player to play on the field in a Pirates uniform this year and not be somebody like, you know, uh, Josh Van Meter. Like, you're not going to be that and get on the field. I, I think those guys are gone. Is, does it signify that to you? Because I feel like that's where we're at now, that you're going to have a starting lineup that's either going to be somebody that they actually believe is going to be long-term and has shown some results and has done well in the minor leagues, and they they you've actually seen some production, and the hangers on, and the maybe this guy can unlock it, and most teams would have given up on that guy already, but the Pirates are still sticking with him. Those guys are probably gone now when you see Choi and Santana come in to fill the role over at first in DH. Yeah, because I mean, it made me feel better with each, each move they made. With Choi coming in, 
I was happy, but then I was also thinking this means they're probably still going to try out Anjuar over at first base to be his platoon. And then they go out and get, you know, Lewin Diaz off of waivers. And I was thinking, okay, well, once Choi is traded or if, you know, Choi gets hurt, then it's going to be Anjuar and Diaz. Diaz hasn't hit a lick in the major leagues, but has like 16 defensive runs saved, nine outs above average in his limited time, you know, at first base over the past three years. But now with Santana coming in, I mean, probably Santana and Choi are gone by the end of the year. Diaz doesn't have any options. I don't know if he, you know, sticks around as just a strict defensive replacement for one position on the 40-man or actually it would be like on the active roster. I don't know if that ends up happening, but like you said, Chris, it definitely takes away from the fact of, I don't think we're going to see Josh Van Meter standing or a Josh Van Meter standing over there anymore, which makes me really, really happy. Now the focus has to go towards pitching, pitching, pitching and if you want to go get another outfielder i wouldn't be upset well that's the only place where there might be a hole like think about this i'm looking at their lineup right now when you add Choi and santana in and go around the horn real quick if your catcher is andy rodriguez and a vet that is going to be exactly what i just described A, a veteran that's going to help out while a prospect shows up and gets his shot okay so i'm fine with that that's what you want that's, uh, that's not a retread. That's not somebody who you're picking up off the garbage heap. First base and DH are professional major league baseball players. They may be they may be replacement level, but if used in the proper way, they also bring a little bit of, of like, you know, that vet status. That, that Those are professional baseball players, all right? I mean, O'Neill Cruz is a big-time prospect, professional baseball player. Cabrian Hayes is is somebody that's in your long-term plans, professional baseball player. Brian Reynolds is a professional baseball player. Every team in baseball is wishing the Pirates would trade him. He's in every rumor on Twitter, in every like fan base's Twitter, right? He's in Astros Twitter, he's in White Sox Twitter, he's in he's in Yankees Twitter, the Boston Red Sox Twitter, the Angels Twitter, the Dodgers Twitter. Everybody's like, "You think we could get Brian Reynolds? Professional baseball player, right? I mean, Rodolfo Castro could be the answer at second base. Plus you have other guys that are going to be challenging. You have plenty of professional baseball players. You you have, you're not throwing somebody out there that has never been anything that you're trying to unlock. I, 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 that's, that's a good thing, except when I look in the outfield. I mean, Zawinski, although you're excited about him, we don't know what he's going to be. And we don't know if he could be consistent we don't know exactly what Kel Mitchell is. We're not exactly sure which outfielders are going to to sort out here on this roster. So yeah, an outfielder wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I don't think they're going to do that, though. I think they're going to let their outfielders play and try to find the professional baseball players that came through their system that are going to stand in the outfield. So you're right. I think you move to pitching now. I think you look at that pitching staff. That's the other thing that I said you need to do this offseason is go get a pitcher. And this could be a pitcher that you sign to a four-year deal that's a real veteran that you're not looking to flip. If you're going to go the route you went with Choi and Santana, go do that. Be bold. 
If you can make a deal with somebody who you could say, this person's going to be in my rotation and I feel like they will still be a viable, good pitcher through the entirety of that contract or the most part of it, I would go make that move right now because it's very, very hard to get pitching. Teams have a hard time in free agency. There's a lot of competition for it and it's even harder to trade for good starting pitching. So if you're able to pull it off at this point, I would do it. It'll be interesting to see if that's what their focus is or if they're doing the the Jose Quintana, uh, you know, let's just see if we can get a guy who, who who can rebound and then, you know, flip that guy midway through the year. Yeah, and I know that uh, Rob Beertemple of, of The Athletic reported, uh, quoted Ben Sherrington, saying that Sherrington wouldn't rule out looking to add offense in the outfield, but it didn't seem like as much of a you know, solution as he posed for first base and DH when he was saying we have to solve or fix that position. Just basically saying if something comes up, we we wouldn't rule that out. But then did point and has pointed towards, you know, a couple times wanting to get one to two starting pitchers and having one of those starting pitchers be somebody that they sign for more than one year. Uh, the biggest name that has come up recently, I mean, Jose Quintana, there's been, you know, he said he would come back. They said they would love to have him back. I'm seeing, you know, estimated some places 12 to $14 million a year. Uh, not sure if that prices him outside of the Pirates. Most years it probably would. Uh, but then they're going after supposedly interest on both sides for a Cal Gibson uh, from Philadelphia, a guy who had a over five ERA last year. A lot of people would say, okay, fits right in with the Pirates. Uh, the thing we look at, Chris, is whip. Uh, last year he was, you know, a w- below a 1.4. I think it was like a 1.366 whip. So, I mean, is a professional pitcher, but if that is your only answer, well, number one, he's not left-handed, and so we still wouldn't have a left-handed starter and still don't have a left-hander in the pitching staff at all right now with Manny Benuelos gone and supposedly signing over in Korea or Japan or someplace. So that's where it would kind of fit in that maybe they would sign a Kyle Gibson for like a one year. And then hopefully, I mean, there's been some smoke around, you know, a player like a Sean Mania. That's a great name. That would be a guy. That would be a big steal. He's going to cost money. I've been looking at him and I've been looking at Noah Syndergaard. Okay. I mean, Mania is 31. He was uh, worth four and a half wins last year. And he's a good pitcher. Keeps guys off base. Generally, he's got a low whip. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, uh, you know, he split between two teams last year. He's only worth two wins above replacement at age 30. He may be riding under the radar, but he keeps guys off base and he's at that perfect distance from his surgery where this is when the guy is completely healthy. Like, I mean, there, look at, look at, uh, uh, a team that's done this the last couple of years, okay? And I I go to them every once in a while, okay? And 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 because they're, they 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 actually make moves in some ways very similarly to when the the Pirates go and find something that's a value move. The, look at what the White Sox did with Johnny Cueto last year, and they identified that due to some injuries and not really getting himself a hundred percent, you sign him to a minor league deal and look what he turned into. Right now, he's a little too old for this exercise, but look what they just did with Mike Clevenger a guy that had an injury, came back, showed that he was keeping guys off base, but his ERA was a little high, right? 
They're betting on the fact now at the age of 32 in that second year removed from the Tommy John, boom, he's off and running and he's back to what he used to be. Syndergaard would be an interesting name. And, and Manaya, if the, if the Pirates sign him, pump your fist, pop champagne, and tell yourself this team is moving to the next step here because that's a real pitcher. He walks in, I think, day one, and he's he is your best pitcher on your staff. Oh, yeah, and that's the big thing right now is uh, in that same article that I was reading, I, it, it was talking about Charrington, you know, wanting to go and add to the young core of pitchers, and he put, you know, our old friend Mitch Keller and JT Brubaker, they put, he put them in that list of young players, and that would be along with Orwanzi Contreras. Now, at that point in time, you have, you know, right now, like a Johan Oviedo. And then in the five spot, you have Luis Ortiz, Zach Thompson, and Bryce Wilson fighting it out. Luis Ortiz, as much as I want to see him in the majors and as as much of a a show he put on in some of his starts in the majors last year, I'm thinking he's going to start in AAA. Johan Oviedo, the guy that we acquired, uh, Jose Quintana deal along with Malcolm Nunez, they had to put him down in the minors, build him back up to be a starter. So he's, you know, may not get a ton of innings. That's where like a Kyle Gibson comes in. The guy consistently produces and and is like almost like an innings eater. And he would be more towards the five along the end with he's like an older JT Brubaker. Is, well, he, is but he's old. Really be. See that, but that's the thing. I want a guy who's not going to break down on me, right? Like if I'm looking for the idea, and the Pirates might not be looking this way. But I'd like to see him sign somebody to a three, four year contract, okay, and make that person a permanent part for the next couple of years in your rotation. Because you have so many question marks. And if you're ready to start moving forward, that's what you'd want to do. Gibson at 34 years old, that's yeah. not a guy you signed to that long term deal. He may be good in three years, but there there's a lot that would point that he he wouldn't be. Like I'd rather them take a like take a swing at Michael Waka, you know? I mean, it, it, he was worth three wins last year. He had a whip of 1.11. He's not one of the big name na- names that are out there, but he's a 30-year-old pitcher. And if he is, if he just gives you the production you've seen so far, that 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 would be a guy you could sign and say, this guy's part of my rotation, and I know he's taking the ball every five days, and he's going to give me a chance to win baseball games. You need more guys like that in your rotation. Yeah, I a guy that I, I look at all the time, and I, I'm pretty sure I've been looking at him since... 2018, 2019, and at times it was when we used to have those conversations, Chris, and these will sound like these were conversations like where we were talking about how we would trade, you know, a prospect along with a player to to acquire a starting pitcher. And, and I always brought up Matthew Boyd. And Matthew Boyd is somebody who was only able to pitch about 13 innings last year for Seattle, hometown team, you know, pitched fairly well. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, looking back at his numbers in 2020 was like the only time he really, it was like a 1.475 whip. 2021 with Detroit, 1.271, you know, he's a, it was a 1.157 back in 2018, a 1.230 in 2019. 2020, the number we normally throw out, one po- you know, 1.475. But it could be a guy that would maybe semi fit into that mold of, you know, taking a lower deal to prove it. But somebody that I also, I wouldn't mind giving him the two-year deal 
And if it's not working out, I, I'm still thinking there'd be somebody that you could trade him to. Just because you sign him to a two-year deal doesn't mean you have to keep him for a two-year deal. But it, it's kind of fits into that mold of that that younger or youngish. He's like 32 player that is kind of looking to resurrect a career that was going fairly well with Detroit at one point. You know, an interesting name, the the, the most outside the box name when I look on the list of everybody that you could pick up. Remember Carlos Martinez? Oh, yeah. He was with with the the Cardinals, right? And he got suspended 80 games for uh, for testing positive for a performance-enhancing substance. You could be very angry about that. Look, I, I, I don't like guys that cheat either, right? But he's also a guy that had an awful lot of skill, was coming off an injury, and sometimes these guys use those things just to heal. He's not right to use it to heal, but sometimes they use those things to heal, okay? And so if he is the pitcher that should have gotten a $17 million extension, but then because of the suspension, basically like, yeah, we're not, we don't want to touch him. That's what the Cardinals were like, right? Because they move on from guys. They've always been that as an organization. Man, you could probably get him on the cheap. Like, I'd at least have a conversation. Like, Carlos, what was the story behind that? Can we live with that? Can we get him on the cheap and hold on to him for a couple of years? And then all of a sudden he blossoms and, like, reinvents himself. I'm probably wrong with that. And I'm sure there's people that are angry that I even suggested it. But, I mean, like, I see that name and I just remember what he was when he was 25 years old, you know? And now he's, what, 29 or 30? He, he would fall right in that range of pitchers that you could pick up, and if he was good, he'd be good for four years. I mean, look, Manea, that's what you want, right? Syndergaard, I'm all for it. Some of the names you threw out, awesome, okay? But when I'm making my list of all possibilities, he might be the guy that you grab uh, like on the sly and give him a minor league contract where you have control over him with an option if all of a sudden he performs where it kicks in and you have control of him for a couple years, if you can get creative and you can convince him. Yeah, and it kind of goes brings me back to the conversation about outfield a little bit because as I was flipping through, I was flipping back and forth. And the starting pitcher conversation, it's it shows that there's always guys that you can find. Like, they found Tyler Anderson. Look what he became, too. See, that's the thing about Tyler Anderson that aggravates me. Look what he became. Yeah. Like, right now, if you could get your hands on Tyler Anderson, you'd be happy right now, wouldn't you? You'd be like, well, look at this guy. Ecstatic. The, the Dodgers love him, right? I mean, he's a good pitcher. And so that that actually kind of aggravates me because in the end, he could have been that piece. And you could have still gone through your build and been like, but and we also have this guy sitting in our rotation, right? There's nothing that says that you couldn't you can't have a guy like that around. So that's why I'm saying, like, at this point, I wouldn't be looking to move on from somebody. You want to actually find somebody who you could get control of at an affordable cost that has certain attributes. Like, I mean, if you want to simplify it, find guys that keep guys off base, you know? I mean, everybody has their metrics that they love, fielding independent pitching. I love whip. You know I love that. I love players that keep guys off base. You know, it's 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 something I learned playing fantasy baseball years ago, all right, is that I identify players that nobody's paying anything any attention to who had an off year, who may have given up a couple extra runs and think to myself, well, is it them or is it the team that surrounded them? Was it bad luck? Are they all of a sudden a bad pitcher? And if I see that the guy doesn't put a lot of guys on base and he's got a low whip, I go, there's a guy who's got an excellent opportunity to be a good pitcher again or become a good pitcher. He's like on the cusp of it. And and I, I take those swings. And I, I don't think it's wrong for an organization. Whatever their metric is, they, they should have something that they really believe in. 
that they sit there and say, oh, this is a person that's being undervalued that we can get under contract and hold on to for a couple of years. That's the next move I want to see the Pirates make. I don't want the one-year journeyman or the flip project. I want them to identify somebody that their pro scouting is confident in, give that player a deal. If you want to put in option years or things that kick in because you don't want to get tied down in a deal like that, find that player and, and put that player into your rotation. Get some stability. And it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to go get a Manea and then find that other guy, you know, that oh, that low-key signing that hasn't had a ton of success but could be on the cusp because of the metrics. Like, pro scouting is going to mean so much for the Pirates organization. You don't know yet whether or not they're capable of doing this, but within the constraints of how Bob Nutting runs his team and the budget that he sets, it's up to Ben Charrington and the front office to operate within those those constraints and create a winning baseball team. It may not be the same as the, you know, it's not the same job as the general manager of the Mets, right? It's not the same job as the general manager of the Dodgers, but it's, it, that's the constrict, the, the constricts that they're within. So if they're, if they're doing that and if it's going to work, it has to rely on pro scouting, not only, not only amateur scouting, but pro scouting, identifying guys in the major leagues that you can acquire within your budget that have something more than what the rest of baseball sees. You know, and it's easier said than done, but that's what successful franchises do. And and I don't know if we can take anything from the, the garbage uh, dumpster diving that they've been doing because those were all just like shots in the dark when they were going after those players over the last couple of years. But I mean, at some point, they got to get a win. And I think the Tyler Anderson acquisition, I mean, think about it, that was a win. Somebody identified there was something in that guy to be able to flip him and then look what he turned into. So there is a chance that they'll be able to pull that off and actually keep a player like that in their rotation. Yeah, and that's like the next big step is because, I mean, looking back on it now, would it have been nice to sign Tyler Anderson to you know a two- or three-year deal? Absolutely. But you didn't know exactly what he was going to be. And even while he was with us, like he was – I mean, he was above average, but he still wasn't exactly what he became with the Dodgers. He was maybe on his way, but like you said, they did identify that. Jose Quintana, I I think, Chris, we may have been like the only people out there that were saying he's the best pitcher on your staff and other people yeah. are saying he's more like Trevor Cahill. No, so, we, we were on Quintana. We were on Quintana before the signing. Yeah. We actually, like, like, you hear us listing these players. That's how I identified Quintana last year. Yeah. The, absolutely no lie. Looking at his stats, looking at his whip, looking at the trends, looking at how he keeps guys off base, looking at things that you, you know, he wasn't a great pitcher. He flew under the radar, right? But, you yeah. know, us, me just playing fantasy baseball, we were floating Jose Quintana as a name before they even signed him. You can see that. All the episodes are on demand on, 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 on BucksInTheBasement.com and on every podcast player. You can go back and find that offseason. And hear us talk about him. And when we were identifying him, just like we're identifying some of these guys right now. So it, look, they identified him. They they were on the same wavelength. Like every once in a while, I, I get excited about how this front office operates because we will sit there and do that. And then they'll do it. And it worked out with Katana, didn't it? It did. I mean, they have actually been able to pro scout starting pitching, haven't they? Like, I mean, like at this point between Anderson and Katana, you can actually say they're good at scouting like pro pitchers at the major league level and identifying a guy who may not be the flashy signing at the top of the free agent list that they can afford that they think still has something there. 
and they could see it in the stats and they could see it in their scouting. That's a good thing. So if they can continue doing that, I, I got to believe that they can also find that guy they could sign to the three, four-year deal that's going to be productive in that rotation, take the ball every five days, and you don't have to worry about at least one of your five slots. Because Quinn Priester could come up and be a star. Mitch Keller could take the steps that we were waiting for him to take a year or two ago. Uh, Contreras could could continue to develop and be great, but you are not going to get five guys that come through your system and be legit five starters on your team. You're going to have to go outside the organization at some point. So, so answer one of those questions. That's, that's what this offseason is, right? There's 50 questions, answer three. Cut down on the amount of questions, start doing <laughs> that, and so you can start building to actually winning because you don't answer all 50 questions in the first offseason you decide to compete. So you got to answer some of them right now. And at least hold down some positions solidly like first base. Right. Like give people a jersey they can buy and keep for a few years. Right? Like it's that's okay to do. So, I mean, like th- those are the things. Because right now if you're buying a jersey, right, what are you doing? You're walking around in Yin's wear. Okay? I'm walking like, around you, in Yin's wear, man. You don't even, you know, that's all you walk around in, right? You're like, you know what? I don't need to buy Steelers stuff and Penguin stuff and Pirate stuff. I could just wear Wise to every game, and then, and then I, I can spend less money, okay? I mean, like, really, that's kind of how you see things. But give people something other than a prospect, somebody who they actually can believe in that they could buy a jersey for. Get excited, right? I'd like to see that too, and I'm the I'm the guy that walks around in the last thing's millage jersey because it's kinda like half a joke. It is a joke. It's a good joke. And I'm and I'm like the only one that's laughing. Yeah, well sometimes the best jokes are those. <laughs> now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing but then the next day.